It's time for the Hammer Down Show with Jared Jesselitis. Oh, yes. And what was that beginning, middle, and end part again? Streaming online at 1017thehammer.com. All right, sounds good. Let's do this. He's going to join us here in about 15 minutes. We've got a lot of action going on, including uh, everything that happened with your Purdue Boilermakers on Saturday. It was not good, but we got to start out with the top news of the day. Frank Wright is out as head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. And uh, if we're being honest, if I'm being honest, you've heard me talk about it. He does deserve to go. And you just look at, look at the record. It's not been good. He's had five years. Look, let me let me do the case against him. I'll do the case for him, okay? I'll be fair. You start with what happened first. The win-loss record is not exactly pristine. What was it? Like seven, eight games above 500? And it was pretty bad. 40, 40 and 33 in one. You had two playoff trips with one win out of three games. You finished in the division third every year, uh, except for two of them. You look at where the team ranks this year in, in things uh, dead last in scoring, 27th in yards per game. 30th in yards per play, 31st in red zone TD percentage. You have a guy, and again, he puts his staff together, right? I, I get a lot of this. There's the uh, there's the talk that you know, Ballard should be fired too, and I'm with you. Ballard should be fired too. You have an extremely underperforming offensive line that has a, what, a three-time first-team All-Pro on it? who also looks like a shell of his former self. I remember when Colts fans religiously put up videos of him trucking over dudes. Now, it's nothing but videos of him getting beat with ease. He looks bad. Your all-pro running back has one touchdown. I know he's had a couple of injuries, but still, he has struggled all year. Matt Ryan has looked the guy's at least been putting up some yards. I'll give him that. At least he's done that. But you've benched him, and you've uh, put up Sam Ellinger, which maybe is not Frank's call. Maybe that was somebody else's call. In the big box upstairs. I'll get it. But at the end of the day, he's hired the staff. It's not like it's devoid of talent. It's not like Matt Ryan's not completely incapable of doing anything. Now, he's supposed to be this offensive guru, right? That was his big thing. And how do they do this week up there 
in New England. 126 yards, three points. He's fired his offensive coordinator, right? That was supposed to fix things. It didn't. Two weeks before that, he benched Matt Ryan. He was the issue, right? Then it was the offensive coordinator. Now now whose issue is it? Now in defense of Frank Wright, five opening day starting quarterbacks, five different ones in five seasons. He came in, and Andrew Luck said, I'm out. Sorry, peace. And he's had that instability, and the Colts have had an inability to go up and get anybody in the draft. And we've gone through that conversation before. And somebody told me today that it's not hard to trade up in the draft to get somebody. It is. You legitimately whiffed on one guy, and that was Jalen Hurts. And that's the draft you went out got Jonathan Taylor and uh, Pittman. What I would argue are pretty big contributing pieces, right? But still, nobody's sliding away from Joe Burrow. Nobody's sliding away uh, from Kyler Murray. And so, I, I did have somebody say he could have gotten um, gone, uh, Justin Fields. Well, they already made the decision they didn't want Justin Fields. Before the season, before the draft even happened. Remember, they, that's where they made the deal for Wentz. And Chicago, who was one spot in front of them, traded up to get Justin Fields. They gave up that year's first round draft pick in the swap, fourth round in that one, and the following year's first round pick, which the Colts weren't going to have because of the conditional pick to get Wentz. Maybe you can kind of put that one on them, but. They obviously thought Justin Fields wouldn't be able to be in their future. And quite frankly, I don't know if the Colts would be happy with a mobile QB like that. One that seems, and Justin Fields, hell of a game this weekend. But his style of play and what he likes to do, does that mesh with what Indianapolis has traditionally had? They want that pocket passer. Luck retires before that draft, and they're okay. Like they could have, they could have survived with that th- with that third overall pick, which they then traded back to six to get Quentin Nelson. They could have been, they could have set themselves up eventually for the future. I mean, they. You definitely don't want to try to get Baker Mayfield in hindsight. Sam Darnold would have been available to you. Not that that's a great choice. But he makes that like a year earlier. I don't think it cascades to being as bad as it is. Plus, you would have had your choice. You could have had Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson in that draft. Had you known. But, you know, five months later, that's the decision. And you look at the crop of QBs that have come out since then, and like I said, you are, you you go to 20, they don't even have the draft capital to move up in some of these things because of the decisions. But even if you did, you're not going up to get Kyler Murray, that's not your dude, and Arizona's not vacating that spot to give him up. You're, uh, Daniel, you could have been stuck with Daniel Jones, that wouldn't have solved things. 
Dwayne Haskins was in that draft. The, the, these are the first-round draft picks at quarterback. None of those guys, let's face it, Drew Locke, none of those guys are guys you want in 2019. You were much better off with going with, like, Phillip Rivers there. In 2020, you're not getting Joe Burrow away from the Bengals. You maybe could have gotten up there. You would have had, had you not uh, made the trade for DeForest Buckner, you would have had a 13th overall pick. Maybe you had enough to get Tua away from the Dolphins or Justin Herbert away from the Chargers. Maybe. They both needed quarterbacks, though. I would be surprised that they were okay with trading back and uh, taking somebody else. So that's where you would have been at at 20, you know, 2020. 2021, not taking Trevor Lawrence away from Jacksonville. You'd be happy right now. Maybe you could have gotten Zach, you could get Zach Wilson from the Jets at number two. I said, if you had what you know, what you could to trade up, you definitely missed out on Jalen Hurts in there. That's the one. And then last year, last draft, I mean, Kenny Pickett was the only guy in the first round. Obviously, people weren't thrilled with the quarterback position there. And uh, you know, do you want to trade up for that guy? That's your questions. So yeah, so they haven't been able to do that. So I give him a little bit of that, but. Again, it's not like they're devoid of talent. It's not like he doesn't have some input in some player personnel. I mean, it's his coaching staff that has not figured out this offensive line, which, again, has some good pieces to it that are playing horribly. All pro running back. Pittman's turned out to be a fine receiver. Threw in Pierce this year. Paris Campbell, where's he been? He hasn't developed. Now, offense is supposed to be his thing. And he's failed at that. Look, he needs this just as much as the Colts do. So he's out. Jeff Saturday is in. Wait, what? The first coach in NFL history. Well, since, you know, the league started. No college. No NFL. Head coaching experience. Or coaching experience. No coaching experience. This guy was doing high school. And he wasn't even good at that. That's tough. Real, real tough. I As soon as I heard Jeff Saturday, I literally smacked down a bunch of money on the Raiders. How can you not? How can you not? All right, we're going to take a... Oh, first off here, let's get to our best bets. I don't want to forget about this. Best bets time. We did pretty darn good last week. It's like three weeks in a row. We've been pretty darn solid. Uh, I did not really have a great chance to get you a uh, a pick on um, hockey tonight. My fault. I've been enamored with college basketball starting tonight. How excited are you? No Purdue tonight, but plenty of action tonight. The one thing I love to do on the first couple games of the season... Same thing I like to do in the NCAA tournament. First half unders. I'm targeting a couple tonight. Illinois versus Eastern Illinois tonight. First half under of 64 and a half points. You know, Illinois has got a lot of, they got some talented freshmen. But no Kofi Coburn. No Trent Frazier. Plummer's gone. Eastern Illinois. 
357th in Ken Palm last year. They're 354 this year. They were 5 and 26. Remember, it takes two to tango. So I like under. I'll take the under there, 64 and a half. Uh, and you got to love Northwestern versus Chicago, 66 and a half there. Northwestern averaged 33 points last year in the first half uh, of each game, 33. So that's half of it. So is Chicago State going to get me 30 points? I don't think so. Their Ken Palm is 359. I'd actually take the uh, Northwestern spread in that one. But I like first half unders. Teams a little bit nervous sometimes, especially you, you target with a lot of young guys getting into the flow of things, getting out there in front of a big crowd for the first time, and it means something. First half unders. Those are my plays here tonight. I wish I had a safety hockey play for you this evening. I just, uh, the Frank Wright stuff hit, and I got in a lot of conversations on Twitter and looking stuff up, and Man, it just got busy. All right, take a break here. We're going to come back. Coach Pat Shanley of the Jeff Broncos coming up next. Uh, you don't want to miss out on him. We'll talk about that uh, big win uh, on Friday night and uh, what the Carroll Chargers are going to bring to the table. He's coming up next. It is the Hammer Down Show on 1017 The Hammer and 1017. Welcome back. This is the Hammer Down Show, 1017 The Hammer, 1017TheHammer.com. Over to our Blue Fox Eating Cooling Hammerhead Hotline. We're going to go and... Oh, boy, I like saying this right here. Uh, we're going to talk to sectional champion coach Pat Shanley, head coach of your Jeff Broncos. A big win last week on the road going up and beating undefeated Crown Point. They're going to host a regional game against Fort Wayne uh, Carroll uh, this Friday night. Coach, first and foremost, man, I, I could not be happier for you guys, man. Congratulations. Uh, a heck of a win. Uh, we talked about how long it's been since you've had the uh, – um, you know, the sectional title in the uh, trophy case there. Uh, it just must be like that's that's just a huge, a huge weight off your shoulders and for the program shoulders, I got to think. Yeah, you know, I'm just incredibly proud of our guys, man. It, it's, uh, you know, been, I, I think it's well known that uh, we've had to overcome our fair share of things throughout the course of this season. And, um, you know, to our kids' credit, man, they just keep fighting and they keep, you know, pressing forward and, it, it's been a fun group to coach. It, it's been a very coachable group. It's a group that uh, shows up each and every day uh, with the, with their their hard hat on and their lunch pail in hand and uh, just ready to work and ready to get coached. So, you know, for this to be the group that that uh, you know kicked the door in and, and, and got it done for our community, um, it's special, man, because uh, they they've really just gone about their business the right way each and every day. And I think it was, and I tweeted about this uh, on on Sunday cause, or Saturday because I thought really the, the greatest testament to you and what you have built there um, was how many of your uh, you know the older players that have gone on to do you know uh, various things, play at the next level, uh, college, whatever. Uh, I could not believe the amount of them said so they they watched the game and how proud they were to see that team finally win. Uh, you swear, I think a couple of them even said that they felt like they won a sectional title. That's how invested they were. Uh, and not everybody's programs, uh, kids are, are, are like that. I, I think that's a great testament to you, Coach. Yeah, you know, I think it starts, you know, with Mark Preston, our leader. You know, he, he makes it uh, very clear to, to everybody that he hires that uh, relationships are what matters the most. And, um, you know, I think that's something our coaching staff has really taken to heart. Um, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's really special to serve the, the kids within this community. It's a special school. It's a special, it's a spe- it's just a very special place to work. Um, 
And, uh, you know, a lot of our coaches, they, they spend a lot of time um, not doing things related to X's and O's to foster relationships and, to, uh, you know, just try to develop our kids as, as, as strong young men and, and, and good, successful young men. So, you know, it, it's cool to see that stuff. But uh, and, and I know you gave me credit on, on the, uh, with the tweet. But uh, honestly, man, it's a, it's a testament to Mr. Preston. It's a testament to our coaching staff and just uh, – you know, how much time and, and uh, effort that they put in and pour into to our kids within our program. Just a, a great offensive performance by you guys uh, last week, uh, 38 points, including that 17 in the fourth quarter. I mean, that's really how you, you managed to shut the door. Ethan Smith, pretty darn efficient, 13 of 18. You know, uh, I know Glenn got uh, plenty of uh, highlight runs and stuff in that, in that football game with the his 250 yards there. Um, I, I, you guys have just clearly hit a, a real groove here offensively. I think, and uh, you know, it just didn't. You, you didn't dig your guys uh, a hole early on like you had the uh, previous two games. Uh, when you do that, and uh, I think, and you have the offense humming like you do, well, you guys are just such a tough out. Well, you know, it, it boils down to, to blocking and ball security, and, and we we're fortunate to do both those things pretty well on Friday night. So. Uh, you mentioned Ethan. Ethan was locked in, and, and he was efficient. Uh, you know, just just commanded our offense and uh, did a, did a great job w- with his decision making. So uh, it was a total team effort. I'll I'll give a shout out to our scout team. Um, you know, Crown Point did a lot of different things, and, and our coaches Travis McGuire and Jansen Nicholson ran our scout team all week. Coach Lee had those guys fired up, and um, you know they just gave us an exceptional look. Um, <laughs> Really, you know, had us pretty frustrated most of the week, quite honestly. So, you know, it was just a total team effort, um, you know, on that side of the ball. And, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, you know, I'll give a shout out to Scott Cronk, too, because, uh, in, in, under, in our defensive staff and, and just our defensive unit. Um, cause I think there's a lot of people that, that were doubting, uh, those guys and their ability to stop the run. And, uh, Crown Point, man, I tell you, we run a lot of formations and they might run double the amount of formations and, personnel groupings that uh, that we do so uh, our defensive staff did just a tremendous job and our players did a you know outstanding job executing the game plan uh to get to get those guys off the field and, and uh get our offense back out there on the field yeah a real tough matchup for you guys this week you'll host uh carol uh from fort wayne uh the chargers 11 and 0 and uh you know just just at first glance uh, great defense here i mean uh, under 10 points per game that they uh they allow and I know they got a couple smaller schools on there, you know, the three and four A schools that uh, you go up against in Fort Wayne. But um, you know, a lot of those three, four A teams aren't any joke. But just defensively, they really stand out, don't they? Yeah, you know, they're SAC champs. Um, they're undefeated. They're they're very well coached. Uh, Coach Dinan does a, just does an exceptional job. He's uh, you know he, he spent a lot of time at Snyder before he went over to Carroll. Uh, so you know he's going to do things right, man. Um, They've got their guys playing really, really hard. Um, they, they won a sectional last year. They got a taste of the regional and uh, came up short against Westfield last year. Uh, returned quite a few players uh, defensively. Man, they're, they're I, I would say, Jared, they, they look very similar to us in terms of their size and their overall speed. Um, I think they're the number one scoring defense in 6A. So, um, you know, we certainly have our work cut out for us, um, you know, in each and every phase. Uh, their quarterback is a sophomore, and he's uh, an exceptional player. Our defense coordinator, Scott Cronk, compared him to O'Neal in terms of his ability to throw the ball and how slippery he is and, and, and his ability to extend plays. He's definitely a scholarship-level kid. So, um, I mean, they, they're just, uh, you know, any time of year, if you're, if you're fortunate, fortunate enough to keep playing this time of year, you're going to see 
a really good football team, and, and Carroll is certainly that. You know, we talked about this at the beginning of the year with, with Cathedral on the uh, schedule for you guys early on there. Um, you know, Michigan City, uh, a solid 5A squad, and then the the rehashing the NCC schedule to where, uh, you know, you had better teams like uh, Kokomo towards the end there in Harrison. Um, we thought maybe that would better prepare you for the, the sectional run. Um, now looking back on that and, and seeing how you've done, I mean, I got to think the answer seems pretty obvious, but you know this a little bit more on a, uh, a more detailed level here. Do you feel like making those adjustments into the schedule now did in fact prepare you guys uh, to win that sectional championship this year? Without a doubt, yeah. And that was part of the vision. Uh, we sat down a few years ago and kind of mapped this thing out. And um, you know, when you when you see the number twenty six team in the country week one, you're kind of like. Man, you know, how are kids going to respond to this? And, uh, you know, again, we were a little shell-shocked early on in that game. But then, uh, you know, once we settled in, we, we went toe-to-toe with those guys. And, and uh, they're still playing football, too. So, you know, I think there was a lot uh, of confidence that we gained from that game. And, um, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, our kids have just kept grinding, honestly. So, um, you know, we, we preached from day one, you know, where it's going to be a backloaded schedule and that, um you know, everything's about preparing us for the moment uh, when, when November arrives to be playing our best football. And, you know, again, it's a message our kids took to heart. And, and, and unfortunately, um, they showed up each and every day and they continue to show up each and every day with the intent to get better. And, you know, we fully expect today is going to be that same approach and that same mindset. Well, I would love it to see these Jeff Broncos take down a regional title. And uh, it's a game you'll hear right here on 101.7 The Hammer uh, with a 7.30 kickoff, which means we'll have the pregame starting at uh, 7 o'clock. Here on 1017 The Hammer, Coach Pat Shanley, sectional champion, and the Broncos uh, looking to add regional champions to that resume. Coach, uh, always a pleasure. Um, just, I'm so thrilled for you guys. I know the community is thrilled for you guys, and uh, uh, congratulations one more time. Hey, thanks, Jared. I know, uh, you know congratulations to Coach Nay and the Knights, and uh, congratulations to Shane and, and winning another one over there. Um, you know, certainly if... Uh, People in Lafayette want something to do, man. Schumann's a special place. Come out, catch the Broncos, come support us, and uh, uh, you know, make a lot of noise on Friday night. And Jared, appreciate uh, all you do and you, your coverage and uh, all the support you continue to provide us. Welcome back to the Hammer Down Show. Don't forget, you can win your way into tomorrow night's sold-out Purdue men's basketball home opener against UW Milwaukee. Text Boiler up to seven six five. Four four seven four zero eight zero, and uh, I'll draw out a winner here before the end of the show. Seven six five four four seven four zero eight zero. Text me a boiler up, and I will get you in the drawing here. And uh, like I said, in about a little less than a half hour, we will draw out a winner. Purdue football on Saturday. It does not get much lower than what happened in West Lafayette inside. Uh, you know. Very windy Ross Aid Stadium. We discussed a lot of that on Boiler Game Day and uh, the the things that challenges it would possess and that it probably you know it clearly affects Purdue more. Jeff Brom acknowledged that in the uh, post game that they're a precision passing team and the poor weather. Yeah, they they will struggle in that kind of stuff. Makes sense. I thought it was interesting though that the interceptions, and I was, I was talking about this with Nate Barrett. I might have mentioned something on the show about it. Uh, you would think with the wind coming from the south that like literally you were only going to score into the north end zone, and that was not the case yesterday. 
But I found it interesting that both of, you know, with the Aiden O'Connell INTs, they were going to the north end zone. I think the thing that you have to take into consideration when you are throwing the football in windy situations like that are, when you're going into the south end zone, into that wind, what are you doing? You're driving that football in, right? I mean, you're throwing, when you're throwing your plant, bam. Okay, now with the wind, you feel like, hey, I can take the shots down the field a little bit more because the wind's not going to undercut that ball. And let me tell you, it clearly had an effect. When you watch the punts in each direction, I mean, you would see that wind just boom, take it down, or all of a sudden magically extend the distance on it. But the two touchdowns, or the two INTs that Aiden O'Connell throws, I mean, those ball clearly gets away from him. It just floats. And that's because you feel like you can put a little bit more touch on it because the ball is, you know, getting the wind at its back and not you're not throwing it into it. So when you watch those couple of routes, he throws the INTs. I mean, both those balls just, just float on him there, and that's because he's not driving the ball in like you would going into the wind. I can't believe this is the year 2022 of our Lord, and uh, I heard a run-the-ball chant in ross Aid Stadium. Mind-blowing. And they didn't. They're right there before the half when they get that field goal. There's, there's no excuse not to score there. They should have scored. They should have run that ball in. They were doing a great job. The Maccabee was averaging, what, four and a half yards of carry in that game? And we know that Jeff Brom has had that pension sometimes. You know, he loves to pass the football, does not like to run it very much. And we have this. It seems like every year we get this loss where, like, we really got too far away from running the football, didn't we? If we just would have sticked, uh, stuck to uh, keeping it mixed in, and then what happens that next game? They always go out there, and then they run the football a little bit more, and it eases things up for them. Now, this Illinois team, you listen to Jeff Brom talk about it today, they're, they seem very worried about running on them that uh, they could do a good job of shutting them down, and if they make Purdue one-dimensional in the passing game, traditionally you'd be like, yeah, sure, no problem. You can take the run game away from us. It's not like if you gave it to us, we'd have one anyway. But this is a different Purdue team. I mean, I, I certainly think they should be able to run the football more than what they're doing. Uh, Aiden O'Connell, 43 pass attempts is just, you know, in, in that weather, is too much. You should have been much more balanced than that one. I think Jeff Brom acknowledges that. Um you know, that that's wide on the coaching staff. The thing that upset me the most maybe wasn't so much the lack of running. It's just what was going on on defense. We've acknowledged this defensive secondary has been a little bit banged up, but 24 points to a very, very bad Iowa Hawkeyes offense seems inexcusable to me. I mean, they had more yards at the half than they average on the season. Something has to be done on defense, and it has to be done soon. I don't know what you can do. If this means you have to blitz more, you would think there'd be a little bit more blitzing and setting a little bit more pressure to slow up the, the, the passing at times. But Caleb Johnson also broke how many runs? You're not tackling again. I don't have the number in front of me, but I don't even want to look at the number of missed tackles in that game on Saturday. 22 for 200. Caleb Johnson. Got to be kidding me. It's just, it's the same old things. 
Same old things. Week in and week out with that defense. It's mind-numbing. I mean, this kid, you know, 26 yards against Illinois, 28 against Ohio State, 93 against Northwestern, and we know how bad they are. 58 against Rutgers, 32 against Michigan, and then 200 against us. That's where we're at right now. So what happens now? You don't control your own destiny, but you do have, you have some luck along the way here if you're Purdue. Because if you can beat Illinois, and let's face it, this team, for as long as you know, have they ever done things the easy way? I won't sit here and tell you that they can, uh, that they will go to the Big Ten championship game, but they're certainly not eliminated from it. And you know, Illinois still has to beat Michigan, which seems like a tall task. You beat Illinois, all of a sudden you got that tiebreaker there. It's Wisconsin you have to worry about. Iowa, Nebraska, and Minnesota. That's the last three games for Wisconsin. That doesn't feel good, does it? So you went out, Wisconsin's got the tiebreaker. Ugh. Painful. Painful. Check that. I guess I shouldn't. I have no idea how that tiebreaker would go. So if Purdue would beat Illinois, they'd be four and three. Illinois would be four and three. Let's say Wisconsin also moves to four and three. And then the three of them went out. I, I don't know how that all gets separated. And even, yeah, I, I don't know how a three-way tie like that would work. And there's way too much math to be involved with that. Still, it's a frustrating season right now, I think, for Purdue football. Um, I don't know that I have them winning their six-and-a-half-point favor uh, dog on the road against Illinois. I mean, Northwestern is going to look better than they probably should in two weeks in Ross-Aid. And then you'll go and get into some kind of dogfight with Indiana, but end up winning by like two scores. And you can possibly be looking at a, uh, what, a seven-win season. How do you feel about that? It's more than the same. Look, I, I love... When I left that stadium, I, I heard nothing but people shouting about coaches. Nothing on players. Coaches aren't out there missing those tackles. Didn't I say that last month, too? But, yeah, fans clearly want the axe to fall someplace here. Um, I mean, if it does, it if it comes down on, on Ron English, it comes down on Ron English, then what do you do defensively? I, I don't know who calls plays. Mark Hagan? Again, very banged up secondary, and that stinks. They're doing what they can, but you can't be missing the tackles up front like they've been doing here and expect success. You just can't do it. Uh, this is going to be a tough finish. you got two games where you're definitely going to be the favorites in, but that's going to be a tough road trip over to Illinois on uh, on Saturday. Uh, I, I don't know who I have in that one just yet. I really have to sit down and think about that because uh, I think Purdue needs to get back to running the football a little bit more, but this might not be the week that you have to do that. Oh, we'll see. We're going to take a final break. Continue to text me, boiler up. 
to 765-447-4080. We'll draw out a winner for these tickets for tomorrow night's men's basketball game. Sold out against UW-Milwaukee, and I want to send you there. Uh, boiler up to 765-447-4080, and we'll draw out a winner here just in a few minutes. The things we missed and more are coming up here on 1017 The Hammer 101. Hey, welcome back to the Hammer Down Show on 1017 The Hammer and 1017TheHammer.com. Your last chance to text Boiler Up to 765 447 4080 to get yourself registered to win some Purdue men's basketball tickets for tomorrow's game. Uh, you got to be able to stop by and pick them up here at the station here, 765 447 4080. We'll give you a chance to win here. Again, I'll, I'll draw them out here at the top of the hour. So 765 447 4080. Text me a boiler up, and uh, we'll get you in the drawing. Time for some of the things that we missed today. Uh, White Sox. Talking White Sox baseball. They're going to go ahead and pick up that club option on Tim Anderson. Well, that's a controversial move, right? Uh, $12.5 million uh, next year. Hit over 300 for the fourth consecutive season. Had the injuries, but again, we need an old priest and a new priest. Uh, they will not uh, take that uh, option on Josh Harrison, though. So uh, he will hit uh, the market instead. Harrison uh, is going to get $1.5 million on the buyouts because they don't want to pay him $5 million. I love math, man. I love the math of contracts like that. That's great stuff. I'm going to go ahead and stay in Chicago. And uh, can, we, can, we talk about, can we talk about Justin Fields for a minute? I'm pretty darn impressed with what he put together on Sunday. I I know that they don't get the win. I I get that. But you can't deny that the man has been producing lately. Maybe not in the way we traditionally see it. We want to see 300-plus yard passers, right? It's okay if you run, you can make some guys miss. Yeah, sure, you get like 50, 60 yards a game, but we still want to see you be able to put up, uh, you know, the passing numbers. He hasn't put up the passing numbers in the last few weeks. Last time he had 200 yards was against Minnesota in week five, and that's the only time he's eclipsed 200 yards this season in passing. But what he has been able to do on the ground, do you realize he is the 10th leading rusher in the league right now? 10th. There are only nine other players, all running backs, who have more yardage than Justin Fields. So Justin Fields has more rushing yardage than 22 other starting running backs on the whole season. Minimum. That's crazy. The only people that have more than him... Dalvin Cook just has six more yards than him. Dalvin Cook's a pretty darn good running back, right? Stevenson has 16 more yards than him. I mean, it's hard. He's not going to be Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs. I mean, ETN's only got about 75 more yards than he does. That's insane to think about that. Lamar Jackson averages 7.4 yards per carry. Josh Allen at 6.3. And here we are with Justin Fields at 6.6. 
So when I view him in that frame, I I guess my whole point here is we've talked about his development, and there's still naysayers here that just need to see the passing yards. And now I, I have to ask myself, why? Why do you need to see it? You know what he's been doing in fantasy lately? I know fantasy football, you don't care about that stuff. But the fact that he's putting up Mahomes-like numbers in that should get somebody's attention eventually here, right? Maybe the Bears just need to do a little bit more to adapt to him. We've been talking about trying to get more of these receiving targets and stuff, but i, I got to wonder here, maybe you want him out of the pocket more. Maybe that's, maybe that's the future there for that position. Maybe that's what we need to ask him uh, to do going forward. Lamar Jackson, again, an NFL MVP this season. 1,600 yards, 15 touchdowns, 6 INTs. And Justin Fields is at 1,300 yards, 10 touchdowns, 6 INTs. In his second year with a second head coach and second offensive coordinator. I used to understand a little bit of the flack that he used to catch. But I'm starting to be one of those guys that's, I, I won't say it's an apologist, but I think we need to start viewing him uh, in a through a different lens. I feel like we need to have a different kind of scoreboard for him uh, now going forward here. Because clearly he's doing things much like Lamar Jackson does. And whether you like that or not, uh, Lamar, oh, big trust over there, has an MVP. And I would say is a little bit better set up with, uh, you know, line and uh, a couple, you know, running backs and stuff. I, I think he's a little bit set, better set up over there than Justin is in Chicago. I'm excited to watch the young man develop, though. I think the passing, you want a good knock here? He's got to raise the passing, the completion percentage. That's the knock right now. But he gets that up another 10%. Look out, man. Look out for that kid. I think the future's bright for him in Chicago now. I really, really do. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the show. We'll draw out a winner here tomorrow. Uh, we'll be back with another Hammer Down show starting at 3 on